Hey there, welcome to the Jobs for Women podcast, where we empower and uplift women to succeed and thrive in their professional life whilst looking after their well-being. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the issues and challenges faced by women in the workplace with particular focus on gender equality. We believe that every woman deserves the opportunity to excel in her career regardless of her gender, and we're committed to helping women break through the barriers that hold them back. Join us every week as we hear from experts, share stories and give advice. We've got an incredible community of women who support and encourage each other and we're so happy that you are here. Let's break down the gender barriers and create a more equitable and inclusive workplace for all. So welcome to another episode of the Jobs for Women podcast. I am so excited to welcome my guest this week. We have Susie Bold, who is a director of marketing in the film industry. So welcome to the podcast, Susie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm particularly excited because we go way back, don't we, babes? We do. <laughs> so tell everybody where, so we met, Oh God, I'm not even going to get into years because it's boring for everyone to listen to. It was over 10 years ago, wasn't it? How fast has that gone? So Susie and I met at an agency, a film agency, and it was at a time in my life where I was, I'd just come back from traveling and I wasn't feeling anything work-related. I wasn't feeling where I worked. It was just not a good time. And Susie was like the light in the darkness at work. So I, I like to laugh a lot. And you basically made me, made me laugh every single day. And yeah, yeah. So, um, and we've obviously kept in touch. So Talk to me about, so we, that was 10 years ago. So talk to us about what you're doing now and uh, yeah, just a little intro. Talk to us about you. Okay. Um, so before I worked with you, I worked for another agency in Bristol and I, well, there's like, I mean, there's a very long story about my trajectory in the work, in the, in work, but also kind of the intersection of what I think we want to talk about, which is the fact that I am disabled, I've got an invisible disability. So I'll talk a little bit about how that came about and then my journey into work, because it actually happened before I got sort of a proper professional grown-up job. So I went to uni in Bristol, I graduated with a first and I was literally like, the world is my oyster. I mean, what am I going to do? And then I, over the last year of uni, I had been getting really bad back pain and I'd had it, it just came out of nowhere and it was extremely bad pain and like it would wake me up at night and I kept going to the doctors. I went to A&E, I once like collapsed in the gym and went to A&E and I was just getting nowhere. So they would just say, oh, you're stressed. It's anxiety. Like they were kind of trying to fob me off. When I collapsed in the gym and I went to A&E, the guy there said, you just need to have more confidence when you're walking. <laughs> he wanted to discharge me. He was like, there's nothing wrong with you. He didn't do an MRI, didn't do any tests. He just said, oh, no, there's nothing wrong. You're fine. And I was like, well, I keep collapsing. Like, What can I do about it? And he said, well, you just need to have more confidence when you're walking. And I was like, oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> With that glowing piece of medical advice, I will crack on. Anyway, this went on for about nine months. And eventually I was I was just like, this can't, I, I need, it was getting worse and worse. 
and I couldn't wee like I woke up one morning I just couldn't wee like I was losing motor skills but I didn't know what was going on and I went to A&E I went no I went to my doctor and she said you need to go to hospital this afternoon and she got me in and I was had an MRI scan the next day and then they told me you've got a tumor on your spinal cord and it's emergency you have to go and have an operation tomorrow so I literally found out and two days later was operated on and when I woke up, I, they thought it would be easy and I'd be there for like a week and I woke up paralyzed. <laughs> and I was like, this is not going to be bad. <laughs> this is bad. Um, and I did, they didn't know what was going to happen to me. So they kind of just said, we're going to have to wait and see. You know, you may never walk again. We just don't really know what's going on here. And gradually over time, I learned how to walk again but I was left with chronic pain with kind of weakness in my legs especially my left leg so I could only walk short distances I couldn't stand up for long periods of time and I have now in this sort of similar situation where I'm just I have a I guess like mobility disability and I had to go from that to figuring out how to live my whole life because I'd not had a job I wasn't in a relationship was in that such a formative time I was like 22 23 where you're building your identity and I was just like holy shit what am I gonna do so I were I went and worked in a call center just because I had to get some money and it was so bad that I had to go to the toilet lunch and just lie on the floor because I was in so much pain and I had tried to get benefits but because I'd never paid national insurance they were like no we can't give you any money so, and you can't you're only disabled like legally if you've had it for over six months and I'd only had it at this point for like three months so I was just like I'm gonna have to get a job so I went and worked in call center and then I was reading this magazine called venue magazine that was like you know cool places to go in Bristol and I saw this ad saying do you like film do you like music do you want to come and work for this startup agency and I was like yeah <laughs> so I went to the interview on crutches and they were like oh what's happened to you <laughs> and I was like wow well, I had a tumor it's like a long story and um but I just really got on with the guy I was interviewing and he gave me the job and I started on 12,000 pounds in like 2007 oh my gosh Susie I've got like a million questions my <laughs> First of all, I just have to point out, because I think everyone listening is going to be like shouting the, the if they're watching on YouTube or whatever, but being fobbed off, you need to be more confident with your walking. That is a disgrace. And I know a lot of people get fobbed off. Um, how did it feel when you woke up and the news was broken to you that you might never walk again? I mean, this is huge. I know. It's so strange because actually at that time I was on so much morphine and I was on so much drugs but I didn't have this like big realization moment it was more like a slow realization over like a few weeks of like oh this is this is big like this is life-changing and yeah it was a it was a really dark time I had I was so lucky because I had this physio called Lizzie who was about 30 and I'm st I'm still in touch with her, and she was exactly who I needed at that time. And she just believed in me, and we worked together. And she gave I know she gave me a lot of her own time to help me, like learn how to walk again, basically. But 
it was wild. It was it's 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 so surreal to be so far past it now because I look back and I can't quite believe that I went through it. It seems really bizarre, but it also has shaped my whole life in good ways and bad ways. You know, it's like anything. It has it has brought me a lot. I think it makes me, ironically, much better at work now that I'm older and I understand it more and I've got past the trauma of it it helps me keep a level head and a perspective that I don't think I'd have otherwise I love that that is it almost brings you back down to earth because you pretty much you could have lost your life so obviously it correct me if I'm wrong it wasn't malignant then no and how quickly were you laying on that call center floor to make some money after that after that what, so what, I uh, went into hospital in August and I got a job in December wow I know I that I can't quite believe I actually regret that a bit I wish I had probably not I I think I wish I'd gone home to my parents but such a independent like very stubborn person that I was like no I want to go and live my life and they were like well okay <laughs> so you were still in Bristol yeah I stayed in Bristol I lived on my friends I for a bit I lived it was so stupid when I lived retrospectively I made some errors but I she had a mattress on the floor and we slept together in her mattress on the floor and then she went traveling and I stayed there for a bit and then I moved in and got a proper place to to live but yeah I was just very stubborn I think and yeah it was just a very strange experience and then I when I went to work in the first agency I didn't even know it was publicity this is where you and I started I didn't even know what it was (laughs) They they I started actually with a book and they were like we need you to get 20 news items about this book and I was like what no I do that and I had to go and say to the girl next to me like what are we doing <laughs> what is this um and she she was amazing she told me what to do um and then one of the first ever films I worked on was The Dark Knight and me and Teague you know our lovely friend Teague we worked together on it and we said that was the first ever Facebook film fan page for a film. Oh wow! What a history! That is incredible. That is incredible. One of my first films at Warner Brothers, I think, was was a was a Batman film, but it's escaped me which one. I love. There's a few things I just need to pick out here. First is that you rocked upon crutches and yes, where you didn't even know what publicity was, PR was, and you got the job. Massive. And that that guy that interviewed you believed in you. He saw that spark yeah, that we yeah. see in you. Um, and how how long did you stay there then? I Were stayed you- there. I stayed there for two years. And actually, after I was there for nine months, so when I had the tumour, when I had the first operation, because it lasted for nine hours, they didn't manage to remove the whole tumour because they were worried about me being under it for that long and they didn't know what my function level will be so they closed me up and I had to go and had have another operation and so I was about 10 months into this job and I had to go 
and tell them I needed to have another operation. And there's a kind of weird story about that. But um, I remember the managing director saying, you've not been here very long. You better make sure you're indispensable in the next few months so we don't get rid of you. And I was like, wow, okay. Um, And then, yeah, it was so it was quite scary and then I ended up being sorry to interrupt how did that make you feel when he said that do you remember I think I felt a mixture of nervous and pissed off which actually is a signature of me my whole career probably (laughs) just a mixture of nervous and annoyed um yeah I think I don't know. I think at that point, I was early on in being disabled and all of the societal messaging about how it makes you worth less hadn't penetrated my psyche. So I had my non-disabled, able-bodied mentality of probably a level of like entitlement to respect. And I think that is chipped away at when you experience life as a marginalised person. And my experience is obviously being white and, you know, educationally privileged and socially and economically privileged and having grown up in a really privileged upbringing, but then also experiencing what it's like to have a level of exclusion from society, have judgments from society. When I was on crutches, I got a lot of verbal abuse on the street. And when I was in a wheelchair, I was in a wheelchair for a bit, I got a lot of verbal abuse people yelling like fucking cripple sorry can I swear I don't <laughs> like <laughs> people would be savage like and I was still on crutches for a while and I used to sing at that point I did an open mic night and I remember getting on stage and I was just about to sing I think it was the first or second time that I had sung again since it happened and someone like yelling some I can't remember what it was but something about my crutches about how I think it was something about being a cripple or a retard Obviously, those words are both unacceptable, but it really was so eye-opening because I'd gone through life in this bubble of privilege, essentially, and then it sort of burst, and it was like, okay, now I get to see different parts of what it's like to live in this country if you aren't insulated by all forms of privilege. That is so interesting, Susie, when you look at it from that respect that you'd, you've mm-hmm. seen both sides of the coin, which mm-hmm. is horrific. Those experiences are just horrific. But what is eye-opening for a lot of people listening is that there's people going through that daily. And of course, like, yeah. yeah. By that. So mm. what I want to just go back to then is right at the beginning of the podcast, you use the term invisible disability. Yeah. When you were able to walk without the crutches, did you mm. notice a difference? So the main challenge I found initially was I felt a lot of shame about it. And I really wanted to hide the fact that I was disabled. And that made my life quite difficult particularly at work because there was stuff I knew I couldn't do 
but I didn't feel confident to talk to my boss about it or to talk to the people, my colleagues. And I remember it being really tough when I first moved to where we worked together because we were expected to like sometimes cover red carpets or cover, you know, junkets or sign in screenings. And I'd always have so much worry in the back of my mind of like, will there be someone to sit down? Will I be able to tell people I need to sit down? What will happen if I... I was really anxious for a long time about collapsing, which had never happened to me, but it was like a, a really strong fear. And I and I was still really young and inexperienced. And I, I hadn't, I felt I hadn't earned, I guess, the right to have some access needs. And I didn't even understand that they were access needs and that everybody has access needs, but we don't really talk about them unless they're for disabled people. So we're both wearing glasses and really that's that's an access need like without them we couldn't see properly and like that's become totally normalized you wouldn't feel weird about it you don't feel ashamed about it but you probably would if you suddenly had to use the mobility scooter or a crutch or a walking stick or a rollator or a different access device and we have created as a society a, a really strange set of rules about what's allowed and what's not allowed. Like some people are really sniffy and weird with you if you have dietary restrictions <laughs> or like, and, and that's just so that you can access food without it making you sick. Like there's all this stuff and I hadn't learned any of it. took me so long into being disabled to learn all that information that at the start, I just felt shame and I just felt like I didn't want people to know and I didn't want people to judge me and I was worried I wouldn't get employed. I was scared to mention it in interviews. Like it felt like this big elephant in the room to me. How did that make you feel? I think it sort of, it did destroy my self-esteem. I felt very worthless for a long time. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and also you know the environments that we worked in they weren't that compassionate and sort of kind nurturing. yeah yeah exactly and it's the expectation I was chatting to someone earlier about my experiences when I got pregnant and I won't go into that in detail now but the treatment before of the assumptions that you wouldn't have a baby at your age kind of thing that was said but not yeah yeah, oh, which I'm going to do a whole podcast on. And I I remember, you know, it, that's a whole other conversation, but yeah. it's kind of like I can relate to you in the the, the environment. Yeah, not nurturing. And mm. in that first job, um, when you said you needed surgery again, were they accommodating or were you, did you have the mask on? Were you like, so, oh, okay. They were actually practically accommodating. So obviously the MDs made that comment of like, oh, you better prove your worth. But I was off for a month. They paid me in full. They didn't even talk to me about not paying me. They just paid me in full. And they let me come back on like reduced hours. So like I came back for half days first. I can't remember exactly, but I, maybe I came back a few, like, you know, a few days a week or whatever. And that was amazing. And actually when I then went on to the next job, where you and I worked together, I had, I randomly had this thing where I woke up one morning and I'd lost feeling, I'd lost sensation and I had to go to hospital. And I was there for two weeks because they thought I had another tumour and I, the waiting list for an MRI was long and they couldn't get me in immediately, but they couldn't let me go. 
because they thought I had another tumor. And I remember telling uh, work, and they were initially so lovely. They were like, don't worry. They sent me flowers. They were like really lovely. And then when I did go back to work, and I had to, I'd basically had like a trapped nerve, and that was the problem. And, I, and it had had an impact on my mobility and walking. So I was going back on slightly reduced hours. And they, I went in and they said, by the way, we don't actually cover sick pay here. So they, I had to pay back pay. And then, and then they were like, and they wouldn't cover. There was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they were quite um, unaccommodating about it. And I felt like I'd done something wrong. So it's in, through my career, it's only the business I work for now that I feel has got it. Like they understand, they're very happy to make reasonable adjustments for me. Like I work from home more than my colleagues, but we all have a hybrid setup. And that's been life-changing for me, especially in managing my pain. But up until that point, my experiences with HR in general have been pretty disappointing. I had one. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. You go ahead. I had one thing. You know, there's like company away days where you're going to like bond with your colleagues. I had one uh, instance where they wanted us to do an assault course. And I was like, I absolutely can't do that. (laughs) I just literally, I cannot do that. And they wouldn't believe me. I had to get my surgeon to, to write them a letter that was like, these are all the reasons why she can't do it. And actually it could make her disability worse. Like don't make her do it. And the HR manager had this meeting and it was so humiliating. And she said something like, I've got a bad back. I could say I'm disabled. Like it hurts. I was like, I can't feel my legs properly. (laughs) I've had a laminectomy. I'm missing part of my vertebrae. Like I've had two very extensive surgery. I've permanent nerve damage. Not to undermine what she had, but it just felt so awful. And then she said, well, why don't you come and sit on the sidelines? And I said, I just don't, I, I think I might be feeling a bit uncomfortable. And like, you know, it just made me feel bad. And she said, I've got friends in wheelchairs and they'd happily come and sit on the sidelines. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. That's, that's great. Thanks. It was so humiliating and such, a, it was a masterclass in how not, not to do it, I think. A hundred percent. She, I, I hope she has left that place and I hope she's been no, sat. she's that still is. there. She's more oh. successful than ever, Zoe. Oh my, my that is, that that is the fundamental issue. It's, and when we're looking at disabilities at work, it's, it's that assumption. She read into your situation and, and thought that her bad back was a comparative, but regardless of what you've been through, if you as an employee didn't want to partake in a, an assault course in a work environment, that is your decision. That's what I find so like, apart from everything that you've been through for her to undermine and, and just make you feel so little is disgraceful. It's awful. A horrible, horrible experience. So then yeah. when the place you're at now, how, how, have you got any examples of how, I know you've talked about the hybrid working, but what about when we look back at you, Susie, in the early career that, that had that shame, how has maybe how they've accommodated to you and how you've yeah. grown, how is that, what's it like for you now at work? 
I'm very open about the fact I'm disabled. I talk about it regularly. I self-identify as disabled and I'm not, I feel like no sense of shame about it. And actually, there's so many reasons why I think being disabled has made me a better employee um, and it's made me a better boss. Um, uh, in terms of like the identity, obviously I work in marketing now and one in five people are disabled. Like it's a huge portion of consumers and just having an understanding of that, even though I don't have a nuanced understanding of all disability, I understand the concept of making things accessible and inclusive and, you know, what it actually means to have a meaningful impact in that segment and not just talk the talk, but actually make the changes yourself. Like that's something that I think benefits us holistically as a business because there's money to be made on a really like fundamental level. But this study is about how businesses that hire disabled people um, are more productive because in a team, if you work with people with different disabilities and different needs and different um, capabilities, you actually work better together because you are figuring out how best to support each other. And I think I have a really strong focus on I guess, nurturing people's strengths in the team. I think it makes me much more empathetic and understanding. I have so much perspective and I'm able to multitask in a way that I find really easy because you prioritize so much as a disabled person. If you have limited energy or limited capacity, you're always thinking, what can I, how can I do this in the way that is the easiest, the quickest, that uses the least amount of energy? That's the most efficient. And that is so transferable into a workplace because that's what we're all trying to do all the time. Like, how can I drive efficiency in this space? And as a disabled person, it's like built into it's built into my DNA now. Like, that's how I look at my entire life. So there's just so many ways that I think it may it, it kind of works. And I think. I think partly it's a better place to work for me now because I am more confident and more open. I'm more senior, so I automatically have more sway. I think that just comes with the territory. Um, but also, they, and you know, times have changed as well. Like when we started, it was, it was 16 years ago, <laughs> so long ago. And I think bigger movements like, we have become more socially and culturally aware of marginalized communities over the last 16 years. And like Me Too and kind of everything that happened with Black Lives Matter, like these movements help, I think, move forward everyone who experiences marginalization. And they can, they can, there's holistic benefits to us just as humankind, I think, but they also particularly help people who experience different forms of marginalization. So, sorry, that was a really rambly answer. No, I loved that. I loved it when you talked about efficiency as well, because it's like a no-brainer. Every organization wants to be efficient, but I can understand when you talk about that energy, using yeah. up energy. Like I'm I'm a yoga teacher, but I often think about like the energy expenditure for different tasks. So I can really relate to that. And yeah, that yeah. makes you a brilliant employee. But I just think you you're such a great person anyway, but to have you at the top and have a team where you have that extra level of understanding is brilliant. And I think more organizations need that. And the more organizations bring people with different 
requirements, disabilities, different backgrounds, different genders, the better it's going to be in, to work in tandem and to get the, the best out of it. And especially when you work in marketing, understanding yes. the needs yes. of people that are buying your product or wherever you work. Yeah, 100%. It's so powerful. I spoke to someone in the NHS recently about doing some work because they've got like a women's network and they've got a disability group. And when I got on the phone, he was like, please think about putting content out about being a disabled person looking for jobs, first of all. What the hell does the job ad say? Is it is it going to be suitable to someone with a disability, whether that's, um, you know, whatever that is or. And what's the application process like? And yes. other companies that will, if someone is honest on the application, maybe that application gets pushed out of the way and they somehow yeah. lose yeah. it. Because let's not face, let's face it, sorry, there are companies that are still doing that. I have, I want to, sh- this is my moment to share this story that I've been seeing on for years. I interviewed a f- years ago, about six years ago, maybe. And firstly, I had something like 15 interviews, like it went on and on. And I had one session that was, I want to say six or seven back-to-back interviews. And I did, which is horrifying when you think about it. And I did it. (laughs) I was so exhausted by the time I got home that I just ordered a takeaway and I went to bed at eight and I was literally like shaking. I felt like, I had so much adrenaline and I was just like and I thought subsequently I was like that was so inaccessible actually because only someone it prevents anyone that has any kind of like oh sorry it's windy outside and something just (laughs) fell over um it just is it's inaccessible to anyone with any kind of access need um so yeah for that reason I, I thought that and then during the process of the interview, I think it was the last interview, and I'd gone through all of it and all the feedback every time had been really, really positive. And um, I got to the last one and I thought, and I hadn't mentioned my disability. And I was like, I want to mention it because I want to be transparent. And I said, I just want to make you aware that I'm disabled and I don't think it's going to have a massive impact on the job, but it would affect me if I was traveling. I'd need like an extra day either side so that I could decompress and rest and my body could kind of recalibrate. And then I didn't hear from them. They ghosted me. And about, and I chased them on email to be like, what's going on? What's going on? Because the, you have a recruitment person throughout the whole process and they give you feedback. Like They're like, they love you. They love you. And this final interview was with the first person I'd seen again. So it was like, they're like, this is the final flourish. And I just didn't hear from them. And I chased them on email. Eventually, I got this really wishy-washy email that said something like, we didn't think you were creative enough. And I said, and I went back, called them out. And I said, because you know they have an ethos of transparency. And Mm -hmm. I said, in the ethos, in your embracing your ethos of transparency, I think unconscious bias has been at play here because I had very strong feedback throughout the whole process. And I mentioned my disability in the final round with someone I'd already met and suddenly a yes turned into a no. And they, they obviously freaked out. They sent me this really long email. It's like, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's actually been something that they've talked about throughout the whole process. And I was like, well, I'm not going to believe you now. And I think the thing about unconscious bias is it's unconscious. You haven't acknowledged that and absorbed that yourself. So you might well believe 
that you don't think I'm creative enough and this is something you've lived the entire time. But my experience is this dynamic changed when I told you I was disabled. Oh, I'm actually speechless. I'm actually speechless. Mm-hmm. I, 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 but, but I'm I'm speechless, but I'm not surprised, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I'm sorry that you yeah. went through that. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me it upsets me so much and well done for being transparent I'm a firm believer that the universe you know you were meant to get the job that you're in now and you were not meant to work for an organization that you know was going to not support you in your needs and also can we just cut to the like you are really creative so screw up screw that I know pick something that I feel like anyone I've worked with would say that I'm really creative so it's like you could have picked so many things that are things that I'm not good at (laughs) but that's what I'm confident in that's it's really sad though to anyone listening because my next question was going to be like advice for someone that is living with a disability that maybe wants to go for a job let's let's face it some organizations would would welcome you to be transparent and there wouldn't be any unconscious bias but let's yeah. face it, there are there are lots of companies like what we just talked about. So what advice yeah. would you give to someone? If someone's listening and they're like, I need to be more transparent with work or should I just keep it in? What would you, what would you, you've lived and breathed it. What advice would you give them? Um, so I've gone through instance where I've told people at interview stage and I haven't. And I think I've got jobs when I've told people and I obviously haven't. Um, I didn't tell my current company mainly because in many ways it doesn't affect it's if it's if there was traveling or a lot of physical aspects of the job that it would affect me so I think it's really a judgment call on whether you feel it's going to have an impact on your day-to-day in a big way and I think if it does then it is fair to say these are my access needs and these are all the reasons why I'm going to make sure it works anyway. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I have different needs, but it doesn't mean that I'm not worth employing. And you can highlight all the reasons why. Um, I think it's useful to have insight if you're going to be talking about it, about the fact that there are studies about including disabled people at work and that actually improving the overall productivity and what you bring to the table just by having a different perspective. Um, it's tricky. It's a really hard one to navigate. I don't think we're a hundred percent, well, probably not even fifty percent there yet in terms of really embracing disabled people in the workplace. I think we still have a really long way to go, and there's a broad spectrum of disability and needs, so we have a really long way to go. What do you think companies need to be doing to be more inclusive? I think they need to first recognise that there's a huge amount of value in disabled employees because I think there's probably, it's probably worry or like the misconception that they'll be hard to manage or it will be really difficult, it will be expensive. Like, And that's just kind of not, first, it's not true often. And secondly, 
you know, I've seen businesses invest in able-bodied, terrible, terrible employees on a very regular basis. So I think there's, yeah, there's confronting that. Um, I do think that things will change as more, because I think the younger generations, not always, are naturally more inclusive as culture is changing. And I think as they grow into more leadership roles things will change um but yeah I think just being open to not letting your perceived ideals get the better of you and addressing your unconscious bias um I think that's a really important part of it as well um you can do unconscious bias training now you can do like training courses online for free Yes, it is fascinating as well. Um, and going back to that process, I know we've got a wrap up soon. Um, did that organisation ask you anything? You know, when you went through that, when you went home and had the takeaway, that yes. eight, eight hours, did they ask you any questions about your needs before this gruelling interview day of back to back interviews? No. It's such a simple question. It's the same as like, can you eat yeah. nuts or what are your dietary requirements? And yeah. It's like starting with the basics that frustrates me so much. Yeah, same. And then your experience is so negative. I know. It's such a shame, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think what I did, I did a panel quite recently about inclusion in the workplace and they asked like, what's the number one thing that you want to kind of normalize and I think it's asking everyone when you're setting up something for someone new or you're setting up a meeting etc if you just ask do you have any access needs even if you know they're disabled or non-disabled all that kind of stuff I think the more we say it the more that it will actually just become part of normal because we we need to kind of normalize the fact that disabled people are going to come into work sometimes (laughs) like they might have a need and every kind of everyone does like but yeah, I think that would be really helpful um, just for the community, for us to engage more in the workplace. And also, I obviously don't speak for all disabled people. I am just, my, it's just my own experience and lots of other people would have different views, I guess. But Yeah, we should maybe do a panel. We should look at doing a panel with people with yeah. all disabilities. That would be so fascinating to... Yeah understand you know like those nuggets of information that you've shared your experiences and how we can start to make a change at this grassroots approach it's like you and I have this chat and then hundreds of people listen and then you know like how can we start to make the change and we have to do it by by using our voice um I could talk to you about this and loads of other things (laughs) but we have to wrap up what does the future hold for you when you're thinking about work and obviously it's great that you have almost come into your power and the way you're being so open about your life and your experience which I think you you don't realize that you are helping so many other people what what's the future looking like for you it's a good question I really like what I'm doing at the moment I feel like I am leading a team of 10 and it's just so I just love working with them all like there's loads of people who are in their 20s and it's what I feel so positive about the future because I just think they're just so bright and engaging and they have really impressive 
sort of set of boundaries almost around work and their um, like relationship towards work, which I think I look back at some of the hours that we used to do and I'm like, what was I thinking? I gave up my 20s to like sign in screenings. Like it's completely bonkers. But I really love what I'm seeing and I love being able to, I always think when you're a manager, you have a huge influence on that person's day-to-day life and their experience of life when they're working in that business. And I take that responsibility really seriously. And I want to, I want to find ways to give people opportunities and see them grow and learn and have new skills whilst also obviously like helping move the business forward. And um, I'm very lucky that where I work, there's kind of like endless creative and growth opportunities. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I'm just really enjoying it. I think it's, I just feel good. I think it's so amazing what you just said then about that that tiny little nugget of having such an influence on people's day to day. Because let's face it, we spend a lot of time at work. And yeah. I bet you are an well, I know you are an incredible manager in making sure that they are developing, growing, and they're happy and okay. Yes. It's so yeah. funny when you talk about the hours we used to work. I was chatting to um someone the other day and I was saying about I'm a yoga teacher and I remember at one of my last jobs before we left to move back to Leeds I used to go to the hour class and then I used to get back to my desk a bit late bear in mind I'd been like emails all night evening weekend events you know every hour that wasn't documented and I started getting the eye as I'd come back to my desk yeah stopping that yoga class and if I could go back to my 20 odd year old self, I'd be like, yeah. Zoe, go to that yoga class, book it every single lunchtime because you're yeah. doing about three hours overtime a week. And I loved what you said about the boundaries because I'd love that the next generation is so in tune with, uh-uh, that is not in my contract. I don't do well, that. Yeah. And when love you think it. about it, you're like, yeah, fair enough. Like what, why do I feel, sometimes I have to confront my own sort of programming because because we always used to work so much overtime, because we used to give so much for nothing, I do think there's like this deep, like seeded expectation where I'm like, well, I did it. And then I'm like, no, Susie, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Like it was wrong then. And now I have an opportunity to right that wrong. Like I, yeah, it's a good, it's, I feel really lucky. Oh, well, amazing. More more of that, please, because you're just basically influencing people's lives and the next generation. So if people want to connect with you, which I'm sure they will, where is the best place to find you? <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, the best and most exciting uh, social platform. Um, Susie, will you put my name in it, in the thing? It's Susie yeah. Bold. So we'll put it because it's a weird spelling. Okay, yeah, I'll pop that in. Thank you so much for, for joining you. us. Let's do that panel. Let's do more. Yeah, I'd Let's love to. Keep the conversation going. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so nice to see you. Brilliant interview with Susie. Um, as you can tell, we work together and we um yeah, we have a great relationship. She's an in, she's an incredible person and she's so inspirational when you think about her journey and what she went through and how she overcame it and how she's now using that to excel in her career to help others and yeah just to come on this podcast on jobs for women to share her story that will hopefully like we said at a grassroots level impact 
people that maybe are listening that work in HR or maybe have their own business or that are living with a disability that don't want to be transparent at work. So, you know, what she's gone through, she's now helping others. And I will always admire her for that and applaud her. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening. If you know anyone that is, you know, that, that, that is either disabled or knows somebody that is or works in an organisation where they're perhaps not um, hiring disabled people, then why not send this podcast over to them? I feel so passionately, and I meant to ask Susie this at the end, about this idea of being transparent. And Anna Manning and I talked about this a little bit on the Confidence podcast, where we sometimes have a mask or um, put up this facade at work where it's like the Zoe, the work Zoe, but then the real Zoe is totally different. And I think disability comes into this a lot because when Susie talked about how she felt shame at the beginning of her career and perhaps tried to conceal her disability and her requirements that she needed, I hope that in the future and the not so distant future that that we can sort of eradicate that shame and we can be more honest and transparent. For example, I have chronic migraine and I'm not sure if it's classed as a disability, but I have, it's chronic. So it impacts my life to such a degree. I have to have um, really strong tablets and I have Botox for migraine on the NHS every three months, which basically blocks the neurotransmitter signals to the brain, which tell, which are the pain neuro transmitter signals um and you know in the past at my jobs when I've said I've got a migraine or a headache you know when it's received in a way as if like oh I'll just take a couple of tablets then and people don't quite understand the extent that's the only way in which I can really really relate to Susie and obviously I don't have a, a disability that that she has but in terms of companies not being understanding to like when I was experiencing migraine and I didn't know what was happening and I was worried that there was something else going on and I had an MRI because I was you know so worried that there was something potentially a lot worse. But migraines affect my daily life. And if I went into an organisation who just sort of didn't understand or didn't make um, allowances where I could take rest or if I had a migraine, I might need to take the day off then that's just not going to work for me. So we need organisations to be more inclusive. We need to be able to be honest about what we're working with, what, what we have, because how can we ever be truly successful and be the best version of ourselves and go for those promotions if we're not at our best personally and professionally? I've definitely gone on a little bit then, but I just feel really passionately about this. I'm definitely going to look at doing a panel um, with Susie. Please message me, hello at jobsforwomen.co.uk, if you want to share any stories on your experiences in the workplace. If you haven't already, there is still lots of time, because it's not going anywhere, to join the Jobs for Women membership. It's a free careers and wellbeing platform. We've got a community, we're creating different groups at the moment, so we're going to have a disability group. So come on over, join us, be part of be part of our community and network. Head over to the URL community.jobsforwomen.co.uk forward slash join. We have monthly masterclasses with incredible experts every single month. They are completely free. If you're in the membership, you'll get the recording. 
So there's no reason not to join. And as always, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to review. Don't forget to subscribe and take care of yourselves. And I'll see you next time.